Once Upon a Time is right now here at Fable City Radio with your host, Martha Whitehouse. Tonight on Fable City Radio, join us for the story of Riquet with a Tuft. It was originally written and published by an author named Catherine Bernard in 1696, but Charles Perrault's 1697 version is better known. That may be because Bernard's version had an ending that was decidedly feminist, but also a bit depressing. There's no happily ever after in that story, as the princess in the story ends up married to someone she doesn't love. I actually find her version of the story very interesting and worth seeking out for the serious fairy tale connoisseur. It ends with a statement equivalent to, after marriage, all lovers turn into husbands. But tonight, we are enjoying Charles Perrault's version, in which he takes a not-so-sly dig at a family friend. That friend's family name was Riquetti. Perrault converted it to a French name, and then proceeded to describe the character as extremely unattractive, to say the least. Did his friend find the story funny or insulting? Who knows? That's lost to time. Perrault changes the title character of Bernard's story to a prince who is, shall I say, handsomeness challenged, beauty impaired, not easy on the eyes. Well, let's just face it. He's described as just plain ugly. Don't be offended, though. Although there's a lot of talk about ugliness in the story and stupidity, it goes on to teach lessons about the value of intelligence and wit in a world that values beauty, and it explores the transformative power of love. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Riquet of the Tuft. Once upon a time, there was a queen who was expecting her very first baby. She was very excited, and when her child was born, her kingdom was ready to celebrate. Attending the birth was a trusted local fairy, and as soon as the baby emerged, the fairy said to the queen, I'm afraid I must tell you that your baby is very ugly, my queen. Indeed, when the queen laid eyes upon the newborn prince, she was appalled by how ugly he was. When others saw the baby, there was a great deal of debate about whether or not the prince was even human, as he resembled a badly put-together troll doll with every part in the wrong place. He had a great tuft of hair sprouting from the middle of his head, and since the family name was Riquet, the boy was known as Riquet of the Tuft. The queen was very distressed and asked the fairy to make her son more attractive. Alas, there is nothing I can do about the boy's looks, said the fairy. But I can promise you that while he will not grow any more handsome and will even grow uglier each year, he will also grow in wit and wisdom beyond all measure. You will find that people value wit more than you might think. One other gift I bestow, and that is that when this child is grown and he finds his one true love, he will have the power to bestow upon her as much intelligence as he should desire. The fairy's words comforted the queen somewhat, but she was still greatly concerned to know that her beloved child would bear the burden of a difficult-to-look-at face. Those fears, however, quickly faded, 
for as the child grew, his wittiness became his most prominent feature. Visitors to the palace were amazed when the tiny, toddling child would speak in complete sentences, making sage pronouncements and dispensing witty observations on all he saw. He spoke with such great wisdom and was so enjoyable to talk to that people hardly noticed what he looked like, and they came from far and wide to speak with him. Each year, the prince's popularity grew. Eight years after Prince Riquet's birth, twin princesses were born to a queen in a neighboring kingdom. When the first girl was born, the same fairy who had attended Riquet of the Tuft's birth was in attendance and pronounced her the most beautiful baby ever delivered. The second twin emerged, and she was small and wrinkled with pinched features and a scowl on her face that looked permanent only two minutes after she was born. This girl child, said the fairy, I'm sorry to say, is destined to be very ugly, and she will only grow in ugliness as she grows older. The queen was beside herself, well, at least my eldest little princess is beautiful, she exclaimed. She was becoming overwhelmed. Attempting to ease the situation, the fairy said, Yes, your eldest daughter will grow more beautiful by the day, but I must temper that by telling you that as she grows in beauty, she will also grow in stupidity. She will be very dull indeed, without an ounce of wit to improve her character. What? exclaimed the queen. Are you telling me that I will have two failed daughters? No, said the fairy. The youngest princess's appearance will only turn uglier, but she will grow wittier and more intelligent by the day, and she will become beloved by all for the powers of her mind. Your unfortunately dull older child will be more surpassingly fair than any woman who ever lived, and there are many who value beauty. One last gift I can give her is that when she meets the love of her life, she shall have the power to bestow upon him the most handsome features that she can imagine, so at least she can be evenly matched. The queen endeavored to be happy with these pronouncements, and she decided to put a brave face on the whole situation. So she sent out announcements across the land of the princess's births. She commissioned an artist to make a portrait of the oldest princess, and she sent copies of the painting to accompany the announcement of the birth of the twins. The queen made no mention of the youngest princess, hoping that all who saw the portrait and the announcement would assume that the girls were identical twins. The queen needn't have worried about the discrepancies in the girls' appearance. As they grew, the elders' looks became legend, and the youngest daughter's quick wit and clever ways grew her fame and popularity. Although she was only a child, the queen's advisors sought counsel from the youngest daughter as she always gave sage advice. Her witty responses to the questions of visitors to the palace kept everyone laughing and delighted with her company, so much so that they hardly noticed her less than appealing appearance. Many also came to look upon the beautiful countenance of the eldest princess, but when they tried to engage her in conversation, her very dull responses and boring personality soon had them seeking out the company of the younger sister, who never failed to amuse everyone she spoke to. As the two sisters approached the age for marriage, the inequities of their gifts started to trouble the eldest sister mightily. Hmm, I am so dull and witless, she thought. 
and no one desires to spend any time with me once they talk to me and the novelty of my beauty has worn off. I wish more than anything that I might find even a small measure of the wit my sister possesses. I want to find love, but I can hardly string three words together. The eldest princess grew more and more despondent over her situation until one day she walked away from her palace lost in thought and wandered quite far from everything she knew. She found herself in a wooded area that she was unfamiliar with and she grew frightened that she might not be able to find her way back home. Then she heard footsteps coming towards her through the brush. All of a sudden, the ugliest man she had ever seen stood before her. His back was hunched and his rough face was all arranged the wrong way. She had never seen his like, and for the moment she was very scared of him. But she had nothing to fear, for the man before her was Riquet of the Tuft, now grown to full manhood. Do not be afraid, mademoiselle. I mean you no harm, and would do anything to serve you. I am Prince Riquet, and I know your face well, for it is the most beautiful I have ever beheld, and I already love you. Indeed, Riquet of the Tuft did know the princess by sight. Over the years, he had seen many of the portraits painted of her lovely face by the artists who journeyed from every corner of the realm to recreate her likeness, and he had fallen in love with those paintings and with the princess. The princess opened her mouth to answer, but afraid that she would say something stupid, she hung her head in shame. What is it, your highness? You look so downhearted. What does anyone who is so beautiful have to be unhappy about? You may tell me anything, said Riquet of the Tuft. It is just that I am so terribly dull. I lack all intelligence, and I can never say anything interesting. I have nothing important to say, and I possess no positive qualities that anyone would be interested in. Actually, said Riquet, you possess great beauty, and that is an asset. Besides, only the most intelligent can recognize and admit to their own faults. Perhaps you are more clever than you think you are. Stupid people never know their own flaws. I shall never marry, said the princess, for when suitors speak with me for more than five minutes, they quickly leave and seek out an audience with my clever sister. I am clever, said Riquet, and I have sought out an audience with you, and I am enjoying it. I also have a clever secret. Because I love you so well, I can give you the gift of great wit and personality. This I will do, if you agree to marry me. The princess looked doubtful, and just as unhappy as ever. This I will grant you, said Riquet of the Tuft. I shall never love another as well as I love you so I give you a year to decide about our marriage. In the meantime, you will enjoy this gift of wit and wisdom, and I'll return in a year for your answer. All at once, Riquet disappeared into the forest, and the princess, with her newfound intelligence, found that she knew exactly how to find her own way home. She returned to the palace, and the remarkable change in her mental status soon became apparent to everyone in her life. People in the kingdom marveled at the difference. Suddenly, people who came only to admire the princess's beauty stayed to converse and be amused by her. 
Her youngest sister was not very happy with the change. Now that there were two intelligent princesses, her fame and influence were greatly diminished in her mother's kingdom. She wished more than anything that her elder sister would marry and leave the palace. The eldest princess was enjoying herself. Many suitors pursued her, and soon there was a very wealthy suitor who captured her fancy more than the others. She thought she might like to marry him, and she brought the question to her mother, the queen. The queen told her that she approved of her choice and that the question could now be safely left to the princess's now excellent and wise judgment. But the princess's wisdom had grown so great that now she was also conflicted about marrying. The suitor was a very fine-looking man, but she felt she exceeded him in intelligence and wondered whether or not she could stay happy with a handsome and rich but not so very bright husband. She decided to take a walk into the forest to think over the problem. She found herself in a familiar part of the woods, walking deep in thought when all of a sudden the ground beneath her opened up and she found herself in a large underground chamber. Many magical creatures labored before her. They were cooking and weaving and crafting decorations as if in preparation for a great celebration. She saw a passage leading back up to the surface, and she saw workmen going up it and setting up a, and decorating a long table. She asked one of them what was going on. We prepare to celebrate the wedding tomorrow of Prince Riquet of the Tuft, he answered proudly. In all of the excitement of her new life at the palace, the princess has forgotten about her promise to Riquet to consider earnestly his offer of marriage. All at once, she found him at her side. I see you have arrived at the side of our nuptials, princess, said Riquet. Actually, I came here as I contemplated marriage to another, she admitted. If you really wanted to marry him, you would have done so already, said Riquet. Why have you hesitated? Before I became wise, I would have married him in an instant, said the princess. And perhaps you should have not helped me become so, as I might have also married you without even thinking about it, if only you had pushed me a little more. Now, with my intelligence at its zenith, I must think about every decision from every possible angle and see every disadvantage of any decision I might make. Let me ask you this, princess, said Riquet of the Tuft. Do you, aside from my appearance, find any objection to marrying me? The princess thought for a long moment. You are the kindest and wisest of men. You have given me my heart's greatest desire, and you have remained steadfast in your loyalty to me. I have no objection to you that is not a superficial one. I love you. The instant she made this declaration, Riquet of the Tuft transformed before her eyes into the handsomest prince she had ever seen. They married, and two kingdoms celebrated. There are those who say that nothing about Riquet of the Tuft actually changed at all, and that it was only the realization of her love that transformed his appearance. But there were none who ever looked upon the happy couple, who ever saw anything but the handsomest and wisest couple that ever found love together, and they lived happily ever after. The End
I hope you enjoyed my version of Riquet of the Tuft. I mentioned in the opening that this Charles Perrault version of the story was very different from Catherine Bernard's version. In Bernard's version, the Riquet character is a rather charmless, evil imp. The princess in the story is actually in love with a handsome man, and after she is forced into marriage with the imp, she sneaks out to meet with her attractive lover because it is the only way she can bear living below ground with her unattractive, mean husband. When the imp husband finds out about the princess's lover, he transforms himself to look just like the lover so his wife can't tell them apart, and she ends up concluding that after marriage, exciting lovers all turn into boring spouses anyway. It's a pretty sad, unappealing view of marriage and relationships. Charles Perrault wrote his own version a year later, and I feel like it's a funnier and livelier tale. The first point uh, in the story I'd like to discuss is how the story relates to playing the roles our families assign us. Are you the responsible oldest child, the spoiled youngest child, the balanced middle child, the black sheep of the family, the brainy kid, the pretty sister, the disobedient daredevil? Are you any of those things because that's what best describes your actual personality? Or are those traits part of the identity assigned and reinforced in you by your family? In Riquet of the Tuft, the fairy makes pronouncements about the character and attributes of each child whose birth she witnesses. When I first read this story, my skeptical side asked, how the heck does this fairy know what a baby will look like when they grow up? I mean, how does she know that a baby that's unattractive will continue to look that way? Because in my experience, newborns straight out of the womb always look like they've gone about 10 rounds with Muhammad Ali. So why would she know anything also about wit, charm, or sophistication of a newborn? It seems presumptuous at best and unfair and cruel in the extreme, but we accept it because it's only a fairy tale, right? But don't lots of parents make assignments and pronouncements just like the story's fairy because of relatively meaningless observations? It is human nature, obviously, to label and categorize. When you have some, uh, like a three-year-old child and all of a sudden it's showing you some kindly concern, like, you know, I know with mine, and you stub your toe and maybe you're cried out and the baby will rush over and pat you on the back and say, don't, don't feel, don't cry, mommy, it's okay. It's really easy to feel convinced that the child's caring behavior means that he or she will grow up to be a great humanitarian and headlines about him winning the Nobel Prize may spring to your mind. Parents that witness these spontaneous displays or of pleasing or displeasing traits in their children have a tendency to amplify and spotlight the behaviors, reinforcing them in the child. This can be true of both positive and negative behaviors. Before you know it, you may have shoved your child into a role in the family that may not really be the best fit for them. In the Riquet of the Tuft story, I can imagine that being told by a source you trust that your child will be an irredeemable dolt or a peerless beauty might be enough for you to turn those prophecies into self-fulfilling prophecies. I can easily imagine the queen in our story lavishing beauty treatments on the beautiful sister and hiring learned tutors for the smart sister, reinforcing their roles and making the fairy's prophecy a reality. 
At some point, we must all decide who we are regardless of the roles assigned to us by our families. You may find that when you decide not to play along with the assigned position you occupy in your family, that the other members of your family might react a bit negatively. After all, they only know their own place because of their position relative to you and the other members of your family. When you declare yourself free of your assigned position, you might be disrupting your siblings or parents' perceptions of themselves. This can make other family members very upset and they may lash out in unexpected ways. You just have to stick to your convictions about who you really are, though. It, there's no other way to really be happy. Obviously, Riquet of the Tuft looks hard at the concept of brains versus beauty as well, and, but I'd like to point out that it, it makes a pretty good case that looks aren't as important as intelligence. The story describes how the beautiful princess craves a sharp wit, but it says absolutely nothing about the younger sister craving beauty or being depressed about not being beautiful. Riquet of the Tuft is also not at all depressed about his lack of handsome features. Actually, if you look at the story one way, no one, except Riquet, shows a lasting interest in the older princess's beauty. It superficially attracts people to her, but they quickly lose interest and seek out the younger sister. I think the score at this point in the story is Brains 2, Beauty Zip. The last part of the story I'd like to talk about is its exploration of the magic of perception and the transformative power of love. The way the Perot version of the story is told, the transformation of the characters is precipitated by love. Riquet can bestow intelligence on his true love, and the princess can bestow beauty on her true love, and at the end of the story, Perot points out that the transformations may be just in the eyes of the giver and not actually happening in any concrete, physical way. There is a brief discussion where Riquet questions the princess about whether she is actually as stupid as she perceives herself to be. He has his doubts, and so do I. Again, the reinforcement of the notion of the princess's stupidity may be more of a factor than any real physical or mental defect. I think it's interesting that during the time period that both versions of this story were written, women's options for their lives were fairly limited, but the first version was written by a female professional writer. This is actually less rare an achievement than you might think for a woman in 17th century France. There are actually over a hundred women writing professionally for the theater, theater scene in France at the time and in the pre-revolutionary um, time period in France. It was a career that women like Catherine Bernard, who was born into a wealthy family and well-educated by them, pursued in decent numbers. Catherine was well-known and celebrated in her time for several successful stage dramas, and I'm sure that as a professional woman during that time, she would have had to confront stereotypes about feminine beauty and whether or not a beautiful woman could be intelligent and vice versa. Perrault's version of Riquet of the Tuft explores similar themes, but tacks on a happier ending for all involved. That's all I have for you now. I hope you enjoyed Riquet of the Tuft, and remember, never invite a fairy to a birth. They might lower someone's self-esteem. And the next time someone tries to label you incorrectly, ignore them. And join me soon for another story in Fable City Radio.